Welcome. You are listening to Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, part of the Iconochromatic Podcast Network. Before I begin, I will warn you there will be spoilers about the film, so if you've not seen this before, I would recommend switching off, watching the film first, and then coming back and listening to this podcast. Other than that, enjoy the show. Before we get started on this week's film, I just wanted to say Happy New Year to everybody who is listening to this, and if you are listening to this, thank you very much. I appreciate I haven't done a podcast in a while, I was taking a break, and honestly, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this again. But having done the end of year review with Derek on the Iconochromatic website and podcast, I felt I wanted to carry on. So if you are listening, thank you, welcome back. If you are new to this show then welcome. But onto this week's film, which is the 2012 romantic comedy Stuck in Love, starting Greg Kinnear, Jennifer Connelly, Lily Collins, and Nat Wolf. Stuck in Love centres around three separate characters, Bill Borgens, the father, Sam Borgens, the daughter, and Rusty Borgens, the son. All three share quite a lot in common other than their family relationships. They're all writers. Bill is a former writer who wrote good novels but now seems to have fallen off the map somewhat. Sam is in the process of mapping her career and Rusty is an aspiring writer who is still in high school. As well as writing, they all feel differently about love, hence the title. Clever, huh? Bill is hung up on his his ex-wife Erica. Rusty wants love but doesn't know how and Sam seems to believe that love is just something that gets in the way of sex. The film starts with a wonderful line from Rusty, referring to a girl who we find out later is is named Kate, who he's in love with, saying, I remember that it hurt. It hurt to look at her. This might sound like an immature or a piffy line, but what I love about this is it seems to sum sum up so much for how teenagers feel about their first loves. To be honest with you, I think it goes beyond teenagers. I think for most of us, falling in love is a very difficult prospect. I think it's something that we still struggle with no matter how old we get or indeed how experienced we become. The other great thing about this line is it sets up Rusty as a writer in general. It's a line that his father will later go on to describe that people will read that and it will grab and consume them. It will make them want to read on. It's sort of an opening line to a film that I think, and and indeed a book, that I think most writers and most directors strive for. If you heard the line, I remember that it hurt. It hurt to look at her. I think you want to know more. Why does it hurt? Why did it hurt to look at her? Who is she? What is this experience? And why has it not worked out? And it's just... I think it suits this film down to the ground. As we continue to learn more about the people involved, we see Bill and Rusty preparing Thanksgiving at the very start of the film, which is just a lovely scene. It shows the dynamic between the two, and it shows the kind of relationship that they have, which ultimately builds up for the rest of the story, and to be fair, almost destroys the relationship, but you can really tell that they care for one another, and have a relationship that's not only built built on love but on trust and the the 
the relationship that I think most fathers strive for with their own sons, which is the friend relationship. The, you can come to talk to me about anything you want, son, and I'll be more than willing to listen. As they finish preparing the Thanksgiving dinner and all sit down, Sam turns up for the dinner and it's announced that Sam has a new book. Whilst Bill is very happy initially, he's unhappy when it's learned that the book he's worked on isn't the one that he did with Sam. She has written a brand new book and the book that she had previously written with her father is not being published. Bill can't seem to understand why Sam wouldn't publish the book that he put an awful lot of work into himself. Which I think says something about him as a character in general, to be fair. And she is ultimately angry that he can't just be happy for her. She is trying to get out from his shadow. She doesn't want to publish this book under a name that is going to get her recognised just because of her father, but he can't seem to understand that. In the same scene, we also find that Bill is divorced. This is shown in a quite strange... Well, it's not strange. I think it works, actually. But it's shown in a very innocent way where a place has been set that no one is going to sit to, sit at. And this leads to even more tension between Sam and Bill. And Sam basically says, look, she's not coming up. She's not coming back, rather. You know, she doesn't want to be here. She doesn't love you anymore. You have to move on. Bill seems adamant, if I give her enough time, she will come back. Even though, probably deep down, he knows she isn't coming back. And it's quite sad, really, because he doesn't seem to be able to move on as such. He would make out that he can move on, but truthfully, he hasn't. In the same day, Rusty goes to visit Erica, his mother, at her new home with her new boyfriend. And an argument breaks out between Rusty and Erica's boyfriend. It's a very short scene. There's not an awful lot to it, to be fair. But what is good is it shows a small amount of the dynamic between Rusty and Erica. And even though very little is shown, you can tell that she cares for both Sam and Rusty deeply and only wants what's best for them. She doesn't seem to be this evil woman that Sam was making her out to be on the previous occasion. Sam questions what Bill is doing with his life. Is he writing? Why is he stalking his ex-wife in a lovely scene that we saw at the very beginning? And basically, he needs to get his house in order. In one of the establishing scenes between Rusty and the girl called Kate, he has to read a poem in front of his father, in front of his entire class. And you can tell that something peaks in her, that she is suddenly... She recognises him for the first time. She suddenly realises, hang on, this guy exists, which she hadn't done on a previous occasion. And as a result, she talks to him. She has a fairly nice conversation, a very flirty conversation. And this suddenly gives Rusty hope. It gives him confidence. It makes him feel, actually, I could potentially have something here with this girl. Rusty comes home to find that his father is reading the journal that Rusty keeps. As juvenile as the idea is of keeping the journal at 16, he's not only encouraged by his father, but facilitated by him being paid to do it. The idea of this 
is that it will allow Rusty to continue to write and continue to keep his imagination. I think this is important to writers, and in this story and in this character, I admire him for doing it. His reason for reading the diary, says Bill, is because it was left on his table, and he didn't really mean to read an awful lot of it, but he read the first line that we heard in the film, and he had to keep on reading, you know, it intrigued him so much, he wanted to know how much was going, you know, what, what was to expect, it, what was to be expected effectively, now Rusty says, hang on, you're not going to win me over by saying, oh, you're a, you're a wonderful writer, and Bill says, no, that's not why I'm doing this, that's not why I'm saying this, I am simply saying this because I'm confused, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned for you, Bill states that for most writers, they've had enough enough life experience to write for the rest of their careers by the time they hit 20. And he's worried that Rusty isn't doing enough. And that he's not experiencing his life the way that he should. And that he needs to gain more. He compares Rusty to Sam. And how Sam is out there grabbing life as much as she can. To which Rusty says, that's not experience, it's promiscuousness. And it's actually quite true. In an experience to gain more life experience and to basically be able to do what his father has said, you know, get out there, try and do something about it, Rusty decides to go to a party that he was never invited to to begin with and with the idea of trying to pursue Kate. So he, go he goes along with a large amount of weed that he hopes will be able to buy his way into the party and starts searching for Kate. He witnesses Kate snorting cocaine, and after a confrontation between Kate and her boyfriend, in which point Rusty punches the boyfriend out, he leaves with Kate, and Kate ends up staying over at Rusty's. Rusty is stunned to see how liberal Kate is when it comes to sleep arrangements. He can't quite grasp the idea of her sleeping in his bed, and at the point where she starts to take her clothes off, he turns around and doesn't know where to look, which is fair enough at that age. You probably, you know, I think everyone's been there ultimately. And the relationship between them starts to uh, starts to blossom, but not before a discussion between Kate, Rusty, and Bill as to where Kate is going to sleep. This again shows the liberal nature right, nature of the relationship between Rusty and Bill. Rusty arrives at the house quite late. It's difficult to tell what time of day it is, or night it is rather exactly, but he seems to arrive fairly late. Bill doesn't even flinch. He just says, okay, do your parents know about this? In between this, there is a very heated argument between Bill and his ex-wife, where Bill is told to get over the relationship between the two of them, and then he's to move on with his life. It's a very short scene, but it's still quite important, and I've not gone on about it too much, because there isn't an awful lot of dialogue. The main thing is it happens, and it's one of the most honest scenes, and also quite humorous, but as I say, very little is said. It's just a nice little scene, and it kind of needs to go in nowhere to mention his ex-wife. We start to learn more about Sam. As I said before, Sam doesn't do relationships. She doesn't see the point and just wants to see with others. This could be seen as sluttish, 
but the way that it's handled seems to make it less so. And you kind of see why she has this attitude. The film isn't showing her as a whore. She is just who she is. And so whilst at a gig, she's going to an after-party at a bar, she meets a very typical nice boy named Lewis, who warns her that her next conquest, the lead singer of the band she has seen, is not good for her, so stay away. She pays no attention to this, and she does at least give Lewis the time of day and goes to a coffee shop with him. She starts to develop a relationship and a common ground, including going to the same college and being in the same class. But when Lewis makes some kind of connection, she seems to run into a brick wall, which seems to be fairly typical behaviour for her. She doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want to be part of the relationship. And she looks she looks terrified. It, it's not that she doesn't love him or that she thinks he's not worthy of her time. She just seems genuinely terrified about the prospect of getting into some kind of a relationship with him. But the great thing is, she seems to get over this. And what further occurs is a nice relationship between the two of them. And it seems to be the first one she's ever really had. At this point, at a moment when she is in class, Sam realises that Lewis isn't in class. And she's concerned. She she goes to try and find him. Which kind of shows that she is starting to care about him. And at this point, she meets Lewis's mother for the first time who is sadly dying and this seems to trigger something between them it it seems to make the relationship a little bit stronger sam already admits that the sam has already admitted rather that the idea of the relationship scares but the death seems to bound them together and it seems to make sam not only feel she she deserves love but that she wants it Bill, with the thanks of his next-door neighbour, has a casual relationship with her. They have sex every now and again in literally the most casual way possible. In the sense of when the woman is running up the beach to his house, he is sitting there with a coffee and a book, and she says, come on, I've got 20 minutes, let's get down to it. Now, she says, though, you know, don't you want more than this? Don't you want to start dating? he doesn't seem to want to as i say he's still hung up on his ex-wife and she says look i can help you if you want but you've got to help yourself and it's whilst a chance meeting when bill is out christmas shopping that he meets erica and they continue to develop the relationship they continue to talk and she says look you've got to try You've, you've got to do more than this. You've really got to try harder. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to be having sex. And you've got to want more from your life. I am not coming back. Stop thinking I am just going to come back and save you. Because that is not what's going to happen here. During a party in Sam's honour of her book that she's releasing. That we saw at the start of the film. We seem to see a dynamic starting to shift further. Between all the characters involved. Kate meets Sam for the first time and they hit it off fairly well. And she gets Kate a drink in a very, you know, innocent way, but she uh, she does. And ultimately, Kate's getting drunk. Kate ends up getting drunk at the party. 
and it's revealed that she already had a drug problem and a drink problem and that she's trying to get over it and that she shouldn't have been drinking to begin with but of course sam never knew that you know she had no reason to know about this but ultimately kate vanishes and is being taken away by a potential rapist now it's going to sound strange to say this but it leads to something more positive okay rusty wants to save kate ultimately But in the end, he can't save her. After the party, Rusty is left crestfallen. And she says to him, look, you can't save me. You know, I'm not even sure that I can save myself. And you shouldn't have to worry about me. And for that reason, I'm leaving you. You know, it's unfair of her to think that he could save her. It's unfair of her to put that upon him. And so Rusty is crushed. And all of the good work that was done in what was a in what was realistically not a long relationship but and yet seemed to have a massive impact him starts to unravel around him, causing him to smoke a lot of drugs, get drunk, be very different with his father, leaving him to be grounded for the first time. Mainly because it seems that Bill doesn't really know what to do with him. And Rusty is just a shell of his former self. Someone who was so creative. Someone who was so happy. Is less devastated because of this one relationship that's been just crushed. In a discussion between Sam and her father. And in one of the most honest and open relationships open conversations I've ever had in a relationship potentially it's revealed that Bill cheated on his wife to begin with and that's what caused the rift and why Erica cheated previously and why the marriage broke down this causes Sam to be angry because she has basically lived her life treating her mother badly and as the bad guy and in the reality, she should never have been harboring this anger for her mother. But Sam had no way of knowing this. And this is what hurt her mother so much. She never wanted Sam to know about what happened in the relationship. But that doesn't seem to matter. Because ultimately, Sam will not speak to her mother. And her mother cannot do anything about this. But after this discussion, Sam decides that she needs to release her anger, go and see her mother, and forgive her once and for all. And in a lovely scene, where no words are spoken, Sam goes to Erica's house, her, her mother, embraces her, and suddenly all is forgiven. It could be seen as forced, and it could be seen as contrived, but in this scenario and with this relationship that they've had, I feel it does work. And in a carbon copy of the first scene, where Rusty and Bill and Sam are preparing the Thanksgiving dinner for the first time, Lewis sat there. And with a surprise appearance of Erica, the meal is had, the family is apparently fixed, and things start to look like they could be a little bit better. 
The way that I've spoken about this film doesn't follow the timeline or the narrative of this film. This is because within the film itself, some things happen earlier and some things happen later. I've written this to try and be as conclusive as possible to describe the film. And in the way that if you were just to describe the storyline in a great, you know, to someone who'd never seen it before, they could try and understand it. Because the film is all over the place in a way. Not in the way that the story is written because it's a wonderful story, but because it's structured in a non-linear fashion. I don't think this hurts, this film, to be honest with you. And the reason for this is that whilst the film does centre around three characters with three different stories, and they're all happening, happening around each other, they all blend seamlessly and in a very well-rounded way. This film takes the idea of storytelling and not only thrives upon it, but it strives. This works to its advantage, not only because it makes the film more interesting, but because it also makes the stories wonderfully placed and paced. And whilst it may seem a bit of a mess, just talking about it like this, when you come to watch the film, it doesn't feel jumbled. And you end up able to follow the film with absolutely no problem and with clarity very well. Had they told these three stories in chapters, it probably would have worked, you know, if you'd had one chapter from Rusty, one chapter from Sam, and one chapter from Bill. It probably would have worked, but I'm not sure the film would have been as good. I'm not sure if it would have had the charm and the magic and what makes this film so special to begin with. Um... I don't think it would have hurt it, but I don't think it would have been as good. Now, considering how much storyline there is, considering how many locations, and how many people are involved with this, I mean, I've seen films with more people than this, ultimately, really. Um, we aren't dealing with that many characters, but we are dealing with an awful lot of sub-characters within the lead characters themselves. As I say, I've seen films with more characters before and it still works um if you want an example of that watch the hateful eight but it still works it doesn't feel tired it doesn't feel boring it could very easily and there is the potential that it could have been executed badly that it could it could have felt lost it could have felt disjointed I think the way that the film is made and the storytelling, that doesn't happen. It works. This is similar to films such as Love Actually and About Time, where things don't necessarily happen in the usual narrative way. But it proves... That it, that it can work, that it can be done. If you have competent actors, if you have a decent script, if you have a recent director, if you have all these things that can pull it off, it can be done and it can keep you wanting more. The casting in this film, I, real, I really think it can't be topped. If you had told me that Jennifer Connelly, who plays Erica, and Lee Collins, who plays Sam, 
were related in real life before I'd seen the credits, I probably would have believed you. They're very similar in their speech patterns, how they look, but then again, that's the entire point of a casting director. And even though we spend very little time with Erica, and even though they spend very little time together on screen, the screen time that they do have is effective. And you get that from just subtle actions and from subtle speech patterns. Sam doesn't just hate her mother. It's not just hate when they're at odds with each other. She blames her for every misgiving and misfortune in her life. Now, admittedly, you couldn't blame Sam for being upset as to what Erica did. That she broke down their family. And this could be because I don't come from a divorced family. But I can't help but feel that it's a bit unfair of Sam to blame her mother for every misgiving that has ever happened in her life. She's an adult. Or at least she's meant to be an adult. And she needs to start acting like one. Continuing the casting, Greg Kinnear, who plays Bill, and Nat Wolf, who plays Rusty, share the same screen together. And again, I'm sure that someone has spent an awful lot of time casting for these two for these two roles, and it's very much worth it. There is a chemistry as far as as far as father and son is concerned, and not only is it believable, but it's a lovely one. Not only in a good way, but also in a bad. When Bill is angry at Rusty, it's not showing in an atypical, I'm going to shout at you and you are going to listen, but more, look, I know what I'm saying, I have more life experience than you, so please just trust me and listen to me on this. Bill clearly hasn't had an awful lot in the way of being an authoritarian um, within the house. I don't know if that was down to Erica, but you can tell that really Bill is not that character. And when he grounds Rusty, you can tell that this is the first time he's ever done it. Bill might as well have turned around and said, okay, you're grounded. Um, what, 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 what do I do? I, do, I don't know. And this is encapsulated wonderfully because Rusty isn't so much angry. He's more shocked that his dad's actually done it. As if to say, no, you you don't do that. You're that kind of father. What's going on? The next thing that I love about this film is the music. All the songs I feel are used correctly. They are all chosen very well. And what I also loved was hearing home which is performed by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, correct name, twice. Once at the beginning and once at the end. And it's just a very nice little conclusion. And I know it's a bit try, but it's quite a nice little conclusion and it sums it up very well. And whilst there's no official soundtrack to the film, although you can build one up from Spotify, um, which I've done myself, the music for it is very nice and very well thought out. When Rusty and his father are getting along, you can tell that they do have these very down-to-earth conversations. You can tell that Bill only wants what's best for Rusty. 
he loves his his son clearly and only wants the world for him. He wants to help him as much as 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 much as he can. Some scripts in certain films you feel are cobbled together. That the people who wrote them were not necessarily thinking about what they were writing and why. This is not to say they are bad writers, but more that they simply don't know where things fit. This is the total opposite to this film. Every line of dialogue feels true, feels important and well thought out. There is no wasted line or wasted motion. It made me laugh, it made me smile, it made me cry, all in 90 minutes. And for a film to achieve that, it has to be tidy, it has to be well thought out, otherwise it will fail. This is not that film, this film succeeds. I knew nothing about this film coming into it and when I first watched it. From what I remember, I first saw this on Netflix on a whim. And I just decided to watch it. But like so many films like this, it turned out to be one of the great ones. And I really loved it. Still love it. It's a fallback film in the best possible way. And I don't think I'll ever get bored of it. I really do think this is wonderful and worth watching. I really don't think you can get bored of it. And I don't think you can go wrong. And I don't know what the viewing figures were or the DVD sales were back in the day, but I do think this has slipped under people's radar. I mentioned this film to other people and never heard of it, but that could just be the people I watch films with. It may be that they simply aren't interested in pursuing this film, which is fair enough, but I think it's a shame, though, because I think this is a good film. And I think it could be out there more. I I think it could get a lot more traction and be a lot better. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I know that the film could be seen as contrived and cliched. And I can see why people would say that. I know it could be seen as a simplistic and a bit too much happily ever after. But the thing is, the film is meant to be that. That's the point. And it does it wonderfully. And if it's something that you feel that you can accept, enjoy, and get over, and not worry about all the small details, and all you want to watch is character development, wonderful scripting, very real stories... And something that is so bittersweet, I cannot re- I cannot recommend it enough. Thank you very much for listening this week. As I say, I've been away for a while, but I'm hoping to come back. It's probably going to be fortnightly rather than every week because I'm quite busy these days and I just don't have time to do this every week. Um, so it will be a fortnightly show. Um, I haven't decided what film I'm going to do next, so you're going to have to wait for that. I'm sure you are in mated breath. All you, I'm hoping at least three people are listening to this right now. If you like what you've heard today, please consider listening into the Iconochromatic um, podcast that I do with Derek. Um, usually every two to four weeks. Um, the last episode we did was reviewing the year 2016, so please give that a listen to. And until next time, thank you very much for listening in, and bye-bye. This has been Sunday Afternoon Films with me, Christopher Windsor, on the podcast network Iconochromatic. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.